Hi, this is Mike Bruning, and welcome to the latest episode of the Hero's Journey Economy podcast. Today, we have Tim Russmeyer. He's a life coach, and he coaches people through changes they want to make in either their career or their personal life. He's the author of The Impact of Confidence, Seven Secrets of Success for the Human Side of Leadership. And we're going to talk to him about what it's like to change. Reality is change is difficult. There's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of anxiety around that. And it is one of the things that keeps people from changing quite a bit. Oftentimes, the call to action that, that incite people for change oftentimes is not a good thing. Take a look at Luke Skywalker. It was the death of his parents. In the real world, it uh, a loss of a job or a loss of a loved one or maybe some kind of diagnosis from the doctor that, that triggers people into change. But it's not often fun and it's not often without a great amount of fear. We're going to talk to Tim about that, how he coaches people through this, and how you can address this as you start to make changes. So we've talked a lot about different things out there as far as the hero's journey economy and what's going on in the marketplace around this. Today, we're going to be focusing a little bit more on the mental side of change and what elements and what best practices, different tools Tim uses to help his clients make these types of changes. So Let's welcome Tim Russ. Hey, welcome, Tim. Hey, thank you, Mike. It's great to be with you. You know, the theme, you know, the theme of this podcast is all around the hero's journey and, and making changes. You're a great guest because you're there helping people. I think sometimes we romanticize the ideas of making these changes, but the reality is change is really hard, very personal, and it's scary. You're out there helping people from, they're assessing their life and saying, I want to make a, a significant change. And, and they're reaching out to you help them with that. And just if you could provide some kind of uh, ideas around how you got into this and also the tools that you use to help people maybe get through these changes, because it's oftentimes there's that saying about one door closes, another one opens. Sure. And it's, yeah, but it's hell in the hallway because it's, it's, <laughs> Love always, it. right? it's not always that fun. Uh, oftentimes these things are triggered by fairly dramatic events that the people may not, there's a lot of uneasiness. No, it really isn't. And, you know, there's, there's a lot there that you just suggested, Mike, that's uh, so true. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough out there. All right. And, you know, it, it, no matter where you are in your stage in your life and your own personal hero's journey, um, that's, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, we're, we're, we're all heroes. Um, and, um, you know, one of the phrases that comes out of my you know, executive coaching practice is um you know for through our training was we're all leaders but we're leaders of ourselves first and foremost so whenever i do a group presentation you know it's you know i'll say okay who in the room considers himself a leader and you know a couple hands go up and it's usually the you know the ceo or the svp or something and i'm like no no you're all leaders and you know whether you're a junior person or you've got management responsibility we're, we're all leaders and what 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 that boils down to is you can't lead others unless you can lead yourself. And when you realize I have control over the situations that I confront every day at the office, every day at home, with my kids, with my partner, with my spouse, with my boss, with my clients, you decide how you show up and you're a leader. If I show up feeling like a victim or feeling angry, you know, you, we all know what that's going to be like in that next meeting or conversation. Or if you come and saying, yeah, stuff is hard, but I'm going to step into this knowing I have more control than I think, and I want to show up in a way that can bring out a more productive outcome. So that's kind of the framework. But if we take that to, you know, 
as people go through those major changes in their lives, um, absolutely, you decide how you show up, whether you've gotten fired, whether you've, you're making a decision to make a job move, whether you, um, you want to retire and you wonder what the next 20 years are going to look like. You are a leader. So what I do is work with my clients to help them understand what are those things that get in my way from feeling like a leader? So I can go on. Let me stop there. And no, that's a, yeah, that's a great perspective. In a lot of the things I've seen about changes, there is this inherent, whether it's because we were hunter and gatherers and we had, we were being chased by lions at some point in our evolution, but that we're victims of the world we live in, that we're not mm. active players. And, and it is a perspective. If you put a leadership hat on and say, okay, things aren't great here, but I have control over a fair amount of this. Well, and, and you know, the, the point I always make is, there's a lot of things we don't have control over. Okay. A lightning strike. Hey, you know, we really don't have control over that. Um, whether our, our flight gets canceled, you know, we're flying into O'Hare, we got to change planes and go somewhere else. You don't have control where that plane's going to be on time. What you do have control over is how you react to that situation. Right. And, you know, that has happened. I do not have control. Do I get ticked off? Do I, you know, say awful things about American or United? Do I, you know, gripe to my, you know, make phone calls and just, you know, gripe and moan, hey, it happened. How do I want to show up? What's the opportunity here? Hey, I have more time at the airport to do this. If, and a lot of this, you know, a lot of the work I do is based on neuroscience as well, is if you go into that place, and I love what you said, you know, we're being attacked by the, the lion or whatever, is, you know, we've got those primitive responses. Our amygdala kicks in and takes us to that place of flight fright, freeze, or appease. And so when those difficult things happen, we withdraw. And that shuts down the ability of our prefrontal cortex and our executive thinking to kick in to problem solve. And so, you know, the, the flight gets canceled or, you know, your, your, your kid is sick or, you know, the client got really angry at you or you didn't close that deal. We, we don't have control over those external things. We do control, we have control over how we respond to them. So after that bad conversation with the client, do you want to carry that over to your next interaction on the phone or with an office mate or with your direct report or with your boss or take it home at the end of the day? And, you know, your kids and your, your you know, family suffers from your, something that you didn't have control over, but you had a choice how you respond to it. And and so if we live in, you know, turbulent times or whatever, yeah, it may be better, maybe worse, but no matter what happens, you know, let me say this, Mike, you know, we all know those people who you meet and, you know, their, you know, their parents were just put it into, put into assisted living and their, you know, pet died and, you know, they're uncertain about, you know, this or that, and they're still optimistic and they're yeah. still a joy to be around. And then you see those other people who seem to have everything and all they do is whine and gripe. Those are choices that people have made for how they want to show up. And how you shift your own energy depends on how you handle those challenges that come your way. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it is really how you respond. From the Apollo 13, it's when we have a problem. That spaceship exploded. <laughs> and he just could have, like, how scary could that have been that they knew that there was something really wrong with the spacecraft. And he's just like, you know, just calls and says, hey, we've got a problem here. Very yeah. calmly. Here's what we think happened. Yeah. And then I read a lot about quarterbacks. A lot of quarterback coaches have their quarterbacks go out and golf. Because golf is one of those sports where you're, no matter how good you are, you're going to mess up. 
And it's mm-hmm. not in the whole idea. The idea is not to have the quarterback become good at, at golf. It's that you're going to mess up a shot and you've got to totally take it out of your brain and just move on. You can't let it rattle you. And it, the mm-hmm. idea is that if you practice that, that the idea is that go out and play a lot of golf and don't let those sh- really practice not getting rattled by bad shots. That same mental mindset into football in, as a quarterback and you throw an interception, you kind of like fixate on that. You're going to lose the game. You got to get right. kind of past that into other things. It's unfortunate, but sometimes I think it's easier to feel that you're the victim of the world than you have full control of it. Because when full control over it or, or much more control than you think, then you're really, you're responsible for the situation you're in rather mm-hmm. than the victim thing relinquishes that power. And then yeah. you kind of say, well, I'm not, I'm in this situation and I had nothing to do with it, which is probably not correct. No, I think, you know, and that, that's a great insight. And thank you for sharing that is, yeah, there are those times where somebody else comes at us with that negativity or, you know, my gosh, gossip at offices and whining and complaining, you know, and, you know, to tell there's, and there's science around that there is a chemical you know, it, it's like the endorphins in a very negative sense where you kind of enjoy that, you know, whether it's misery loves company or, you know, and so you can draw that. Um, I have a client who's a, a physicist and he hates when I use this expression because there's a lot more to it, but energy attracts like energy. And, you know, and so we do get drawn into that. However, it doesn't serve us because it keeps us, you know, actually what we're releasing is cortisol into our system, which keeps us unable to um, make those decisions and to get out of it. So what we do through, through coaching is actually when you're interacting with that person, Mike, who, you know, has that kind of, you know, they're, they're negative or whatever, and it's taking up your headspace. You say, you start to reflect, why, why is that happening? Yeah. What am I hearing from them? What, yeah, I love the expression, you know, we, we always talk about somebody pushes my buttons or, you know, they put me in a bad mood. No, no one puts you in a bad mood. You allow yourself to be in a bad mood yeah. or can't have your button pushed unless you put that button out there. You know, what is it? Um, and and you, you touched on one thing is, you know, if it's easier to feel like a victim because then you blame everyone else, what that really means is um, I don't have the confidence to step up and have accountability for myself because you're saying, you know, it's easier to hide in the corner to blame someone else rather than saying, you know what, I'm going to raise my hand in that meeting and raise, you know, and, and make a objection or, you know, carry out my point of view, you know, and, you know, people are often afraid to do that because there is that accountability. Um, You know, I say, how many people have you seen raise their hand to meet in a meeting and um, say something stupid or, did not go over well? Yeah, we all have seen that. Did that person get shot or fired? No, you roll with it. Right. So how can you get out of that place where you are reluctant to step up? And, and we have, you know, and it's a whole, you know, we can extend the conversation around that, but there are those things get, get in our way, our gremlin, our inner critic, um, the assumptions and interpretations and limiting beliefs that we carry with us all put us in that place that when situations happen, we fall back on old behaviors or perceptions, attitudes, and beliefs, rather than shifting, looking at it differently, and stepping forward. Yeah. 
you made a great point about we allow them to do that to us. I said this to my daughter. If someone says something to you that, you know, I don't like your sweater and she gets kind of offended. And mm-hmm. I've used the analogy. I said, well, what if she said you had purple hair? Would that have bothered you? She goes, well, no, because mm-hmm. I don't have purple hair. And I go, well, the only difference between those two criticisms are one, you've allowed one to bother you, <laughs> you know, like yeah. whether it's factually correct or not, you're allowing the criticism to, you know, like one, it's bouncing off you. The other one you're allowing, you're allowing it in as a criticism, whether you're letting it in into your brain. Well, and, and you know, I don't like your sweater. You know, how are you hearing that? Oh, they don't like my sweater. They're just making comment. Often we will hear something like that as, oh my gosh, I made a bad choice. They don't like me. Um, you know, we read, we take it very personally. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, it's the same thing. Your boss comes to you and says, you know, what were you thinking? You know, the client is so upset with, you know, what you did. Oh my gosh, I suck. I'm a terrible employee. I'm going to get fired. Rather than how do we reframe that? That's a tool that we use all the time. Okay. My boss isn't happy with the work that we produced for that client. Okay. Let's, let's normalize that. Let's make that objective and say, you know, you're right. You're clearly upset about what I did with the clients. Um, what, what would you like me to do differently next time? Or, you know, what, I thought we did a good job. Let's talk about this. So rather than just giving up and say, oh my gosh, I, I stink and running off and, and, you know, griping about it to everybody else, how mean your boss is, can you reframe it and say, wow, it wasn't up to standards. What can we do differently? That's good advice. Easier said than done. And, you yeah, know, it is. I, but you, but that's, but, that's but the it, business it you're in, though. It's a, yeah, it does it's take practice. Yes. Yeah. When you look at people making a change, because a big piece of your work is they're not happy with a current situation. In the either insightful moment, either they've been fired, but oftentimes maybe it's just them saying, okay, time for it. What is fearful thing? And I, I think when 2009 happened, I think what they called it was a, a man session rather than a recession. And they said there were a mm-hmm. lot of study where they just showed women just pivoted into different roles. You know, they just, and they said that men were a little bit more inflexible because they kind of associated their title and their role and what they were doing as a big piece of them and didn't want to give up a lot of that, even though it went away and they were kind of stymied and, and it maybe wasn't articulated as fear. I think it on the outside looking in, it gets uh, categorized as being rigid, but with each one of those people, there's there's real hesitancy to kind of pivot and make a change. Yeah. But how do, you, how do you help people through that? Because it's, it, like we said, it's, there's a certain amount of any kind of change, whether you want to build a bicep or do anything. If you want to make your biceps bigger, you're going to be uncomfortable lifting weights. You know, there's, yeah. this, yep. there's this to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Like if you're not uncomfortable, you're really not engaged in in the whole thing well no and what what you're talking about and and it is it's very much fear i mean a lot of the things that have us give up control or not feel fulfilled um unwilling to take risk unwilling to change unwilling to be honest is all fear-based okay we're afraid of how people will react to us we're afraid of trying something new and failing we're tired of you know we're afraid of you know saying you know, confronting somebody with something and then feeling like they're not going to like me. Um, when, when it comes to change, I mean, a lot of why I do what I do is, is my, my own story. And if you don't mind, I'll take a moment yeah. to, to talk about that Please do. Please because, do. you know, I had had a you know, long career in, in uh, corporate. Um, Mike, you know this well, yep. you know, 20 years in market research and analytics. 
and I was at a um, very senior level at, at a company. And I was walking down the hallway one morning, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, big job, downtown Chicago. And I heard this voice going through my head and it's, I hate my job, I hate my job, I hate my job. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that, that's depressing. And yeah. it's one of those things where it had been, that voice had been there, that, that recording had been there for a while, but I had been blocking it. And I just realized, you know, I'm here at work early in the morning and there's about, you know, 20 to 40% of my energy that's glad to be here. And the other, you know, 60 to 80%, I'm pushing a boulder up the hill. And I'm like, I, I, you know, I was in my early 50s and I'm like, you know, do I really want to live like this? I'm not really satisfied. Now, there's stuff I loved. I, you know, loved a lot of my clients and coworkers. And, you know, there was so much that was right. And I'd been doing this a long time. But there was a lot that just wasn't sitting right for me at that point in time. So I went back to my desk and I'm like, okay, so what am I going to do? I've decided I'm really going to make a change. And I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. And I didn't know what that was. Do I re-up where I am and, you know, do, you know, try to do things differently or do I need a change? And, you know, I, I think I probably actually, you know, Googled, you know, jobs for Tim, you know, just desperate for, you know, how do I make sense of, you know, I've got you know, at that point, my dad was in his late 80s. And if I'm around for, you know, another 30 some years, I don't want to live like this. So what I did was I, I started a process a lot for myself to help figure out what, how, how I want to bring about change for myself, what I wanted. Um, I started to look at what I was really good at um, and what I wasn't as good at. What did I really like to do and what didn't I like to do? I look back over my whole career and there's a lot of what I do with clients is, you know, what were the, what's, what were really jazzed you? Where'd you bring value? I talked to friends and colleagues and it was kind of weird, but Hey, when you think of Tim, what do you think about? And a lot of people said, Oh man, you always, you know, help me solve problems or you always cared about my career advancement or, um, you know, you, you, I knew I could trust you if something hit, you know, if a, something blew up that we could work it out together. I'm like, that's cool. And now, a lot of people said, hey, you're a really good research scientist, which you know, so well. <laughs> so, you know, that said something too. But anyway, when I started to see, you know, what, what I felt I was good at, what I brought to the table, but then also getting those other perspectives from other people, I started to say, okay, what if I spent more of my time doing that stuff rather than the stuff that wasn't jazzing me anymore? And I had a coach through part of the process. Um, and then, you know, I spent, you know, it literally took a couple of years to make a decision. And then I went ahead and um, I knew something about coaching. So I went through coach training and certification while I still had my, um, my job at the, at the um, ad agency. And I did both for a while and then realized, you know what, it was time to part ways and go into coaching full time because it's what I'm good at. It's what I like to do. And that's my definition of passion, what you're good at and what you like to do. Right. And I opened my own company and uh, started to get some clients. And I realized this is what I really want to do. And that's been um, almost seven years. And, mm -hmm. um, and I made that transition. A lot of fear. You know, there's a lot more we can talk about there. And, um, but anyway, so that was my choice. But I carry that then into my coaching to help other people with making those tough decisions of how do I 
go about making a change. That's that, thanks for sharing that because that's a that's a great story because I think there's a lot of people like that that get to a certain point and say, you know, this isn't really what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. And, um, and what's interesting about your story is you did not necessarily go, oh, I want to write a book or I want to be I want to do something else. I want to teach or something. You actually said this isn't it for me. I'm not sure what it is. I have to actually do some research on this to figure out what I should be doing. So that's true. Yeah. It wasn't like you woke up one day and said, uh, you know, do they do like a funny, you were a little bit more methodical saying what I'm doing here is not really fulfilling me and I'm good at it, but I don't have the passion for it. I should find something that people feel and people want I'm good at. And when I have a passion, so you actually searched that process through and said, Hey, that's true. This, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, and I look. I did look back. I mean, I you know I had a PhD in political science, and I left academia before my twenty-year corporate career. So I thought, hey, do I want to go back and you know teach at a university? You know, hey, I'm credentialed. The thought of catching up on twenty-five years of political science literature was a little daunting. Um, yeah, so yeah, I took that off the table. Um, my father was a Lutheran pastor and bishop, and as a kid, I expected that I was going to go into the ministry one day. So, hey, that's been in my blood, um, literally. And so, okay, is this a time to go to seminary and get ordained? And that didn't feel right either. So, yes, you know, some, some people they do wake up and say, poof, you know, this is what I've always wanted to do. Now's the time to go after it. That's right. awesome. Um, other people, it's peeling away the layers. And we get in these places. And, and, you know, another thing, Mike, is, you know, it's a lot of his life cycle. Okay. You know, what I needed at age, you know, 20 or 25 or 30, when my kids were little, um, you know, there were other things that motivated me, sure. you know, making money, having a, you know, creating security, being able to put kids through college, all that kind of stuff. As you get to a later stage in life, um, or another one earlier on is I have to prove myself. I have to prove that I can climb the ladder, that I can make a lot of money, that I can, you know, have big titles, whatever motivates you. And for me, when I reach this point, it's like, you know what? I, you know, hey, I've proven a lot. I feel good about what I've done. And my kids were a little bit older. I still had my son in college when I made the move. So that was scary. But so you can't, you know, the, the view of the world and my life as a 25-year-old, you can't compare it with a 55-year-old. But what you can say is, am I controlling what I can control? Am I showing up in every situation and making decisions that will serve me and align with my values? Am I using my strengths and am I showing up appropriately? And those are three, or not appropriately, that's a judgment part. Am I showing up in the best way possible to bring about what I want? And those are the three pillars of my coaching is values, strengths, and energy. I'll stop there. That's a good point because you have to have all three going together. There used to be, um, and I don't watch these shows, but there used to, but some of it went viral. Uh, like those talent shows that are on TV. When they, it wasn't too long ago when they first came out, they were really harping on like hammering people that were maybe delusional in their dream, right? That they were, they, they mm. showed things were going viral where people were just not good singers but we're auditioning to sing. And it was kind of unfair. Stopped doing that, I think, as, uh, but I haven't seen a lot of those. But the idea, I think it's a little bit more focused on the positive things around, around you know, people surprising people about their talent rather than uh, hammering people. You do have to have some 
propensity to be able to do that as well as uh, liking it also. It's, do you, do you mm-hmm. find, have you ever found people that you, that you had to course correct on what they were good at, where they said, hey, I'd like to do this, and you kind of go frank way saying, I'm not seeing it, you know, because- No, that, that, that's yeah. true. And that's, again, you know, back to my definition of passion is what you're good at as well as what you like to do. I yeah. mean, there are a lot of, you know, I, I would love to play the piano. I would love to be able to play like Billy Joel, okay? And, um, you know, I'm not going to quit my job and say, I'm going to become a concert pianist and go on the road. Um, I'm not good at it. You know, I've taken piano lessons three times in my career. And there are probably musicians out there who are saying, oh, come on, we can help you, Tim. And, you know, maybe. But right now, I'm not good at it. So I can't do that. So, yes, there are people who, um, and I see a lot of this when people want to jump industries. Um, They get, you know, later on and they're like, hey, I have management skills and I have you know, I know this, this, and this, I would love to take that into an industry that I'm more passionate about. You know, Mike, you and I can relate to this, you know, within market research. Hey, I'd love to work in the fashion industry, you know, with my research skills. Great. Sometimes that works. Sometimes you have to build, bulk up your competencies in order to do that. Um, So, you know, one of, uh, one of the models I use with clients is it's the four C's of leadership. I believe the four most important things are confidence, confidence, connecting, competence, and culture. But one of those is competence. I remember, you know, when when I moved into advertising and um, people would approach me and say, hey, Tim, I know this and this technology and so forth, uh, you know, these statistical packages and so forth. I'm sure it applies there. No, in the digital age, it's a lot different. You know, you need to, you know, big data is different now than it was 25 years ago. You do, in fact, have to learn more. So, Yes, there are definitely times when people want to make a move and it may not seem realistic, but together we discover, is it or isn't it? And are there competencies, are there things you, you need to learn in order to be viable in that other industry? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's probably a big value you add. Point, like I see a lot of young people going, well, you know, I'm either going to be a, a professional sports athlete or work in some kind of field in sports. It's just, and it's like, you know, <laughs> right. and I know a lot of people who have worked in sport, like we're very good athletes, worked in sports and got, and you would think, oh, you know, they're going to the Super Bowl, they're doing this and got very disillusioned with the money aspect, the selfishness of it. Like from the outside, this is the coolest job I've ever heard of. And they were like, I got to get out of this. This isn't for me. Yeah. And so it's always, I think sometimes on the outside, on the outside, we tend to romanticize some role. Uh, yeah. And that's where you, you go then, you know, and that's absolutely the case. And it works both ways. There are also plenty of people who, you know, Hey, I want to be an artist. And you know, the limiting belief is you can't make money as an artist. Um, you know, and dash those, you know, dreams of what you had when you were seven years old. Yeah. Um, are there people who make money as artists? Absolutely. How do you create then a life for yourself that has the practical as well as the, you know, uh, uh, aspirational, um, you know, and so yes, that person who goes into a sports job, and wow, it's when I didn't, it wasn't what I thought it would be. Okay, you learned something. All right. You know, what did you learn from that? What did you like or what you didn't like? So how do you take that learning rather than feeling stupid or feeling, you know, in, ineffective? What did I learn from that? that I can carry as into my search for my next job. Yeah. You're part about the values. I think the people that I know that have maybe exited out of some of those, what you and I would on the surface look at and go, wow, that's a cool job. I think it was a value thing for them where they said, 
uh, on your three things. They said, you know what, there's some values here with the people I'm working with that I'm not, I'm not there yet. You know, I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, I like sports. Some of this is, I'm not going to be able to do this. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. No, and that, that values piece is, is really important. It's, yeah, I, this is one of the things I do very early on with all my clients is, you know, we go through, you know, a process of uncovering your core values. And, um, you know, is it honesty and integrity? Is it family? Is it communication? Is it adventure? Is it success? Is it achievement? You know, all these things. And everyone has a different set of core values. And so once you arrive at those, then I love to use it in two different ways. Well, first of all, I I believe if people are unhappy with their job or their relationship or whatever, it's typically because they're misaligned with one of their core values. Something's not right. Hey, I'm in in a job where there's a lot of gossip, backbiting. My, My boss doesn't give me clear direction. I never know, you know, what success is for me or what I'm supposed to do. Boom one of their core values was communication. So it's misaligned. And so therefore, you know, do I hate this job? Do I have to get out of here? Or what can we do to improve communication where I am so that I am more comfortable? Um, So when when we start to arrive at, you know, we discover what, you know, five or 10 core values are for someone, then the first step is let's score. How am I doing on these right now? You know, family is one of my values. You know what? I have a job and I'm able to be home on weekends and I'm being able to, you know, I can't do as much with my kids as I would like, but you know, I'm, I get to most of their little league games. I'll, I put myself at about a seven on that. Okay, cool. What about success? I'm stuck in this job. I haven't been able to climb. I haven't gotten a raise in three years. I'm, I'm miserable. Okay. You know what? You're scoring lower on your success value. What can we do about that? What do you do? You need to go in and ask for that raise. Do you need to start to look for something else? Because rather than just sitting there and whining about my boss never gives me a raise, so score how you are now. But then also, when you have those core values in place, when you start to look for something else, it becomes a lens to look at. So, yeah. hey, this cool job. Somebody said they can. There's a job at their company. Awesome. Okay, how does that line up with my values of family, integrity, communication, success? And then you can start to say, wow, you know what? That's spot on. I can see that happening. Or you say, gosh, you know what? I, it sounds good in these ways, but I can't let go of these. I'm traveling you know, every single week. I can't get to any Little League games. There's going to be pressure on weekends to work. You know what? That's going to dishonor my family value. So um, I'm going to have to take a pass. Yeah, that's interesting. Because now I'm starting to see what you do. <laughs> because I can see just <laughs> in the conversation here, going through that exercise, all of a sudden, I could see fear kind of being worn down a little. Because you're you're starting to go and look and be aligned to your value system. So there's a little bit more of a tailwind to that. This is something I'd really enjoy doing. And then you start to do the competency and you have a passion for. But if it, when it's well aligned with your values, all of a sudden, I think a, a door opens that kind of says, okay, this isn't this isn't as off the mark as maybe uh, as maybe initially you think. Yeah, it's, it's very freeing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I actually I just heard Mike and you a lightness as you started to think about that because I, I could tell that you were like, "Wow, how good would that feel?" And that's where you get you know in the flow or in the zone when you free yourself up of that fear where you are, "Wow, 
that would feel, what if every day I was doing that? Or, you know, so, um, yeah, so it's the values, but then you add to that the strengths piece of it Yeah, is what am I really good at? You know, I'm organized, I'm creative, I'm funny, I'm a good dad, I'm a good mom, I'm a good employee, um, I'm a good gardener. I, I ask people, my clients, when they do the strengths work is to write down 60, 60 strengths. And everyone's like, Oh my gosh, you know, usually when I do that with groups and I say, okay, tell me, you know, write down three strengths and people agonize over three strengths. <laughs> and, and then I say, okay, become a client of mine. You have to do 60. And, um, you know, I say, when you get to about 50, if you want to ask your friends and family for what they see as your strengths, go ahead. But what I do that for is first of all, they can look back and say, yeah, you know, I'm in a crappy place right now. I feel miserable. But when I look at these 60 strengths, it's like, wow, I do bring a lot to the table. Absolutely you do. And then when you start to marry that up with your values is, hey, there's jobs out here where there is success and communication and adventure, all these things that are important to me. How can I accomplish that by leaning into my strengths? Oh my gosh, I am organized. I'm great in front of clients and I'm able to, you know, I'm detail focused and I get stuff done on time. Cool. All of a sudden it's like, yeah, I want to go after that job with that confidence that I know what I bring to the table. It's aligned with my values. Let's go pursue it. Yeah. And I think that value piece, automatically you're shutting down that internal critic at, in a very strong way, right? It probably is a very good self-assessment. Oh, that's why I don't like what I'm doing now. <laughs> it's because, you know, you look at what your strengths are, what your values are, and you kind of, if there's any kind of misalignment. Yeah, because, and I think this is where I think the hero's journey is, is going to become interesting for a lot of people. Not that it's a, a midlife crisis, but when we were hunter and gatherers, there was really no ability, if you're being chased by a lion, to take a hero's journey. We're just trying to survive. Part of what steps people into some of these things is some of it's like a bad situation, but some of it's just they have abundance in the world and they're able to catch their breath. And they're going to say, mm-hmm. uh, things are really good with me right now, but I've got some issues. Like some things aren't good. It's that point where you're able to catch your breath and kind of say, hey, my kids, uh, well, I got one kid out of school, one kid in school, but I should probably be starting this path. And, and it starts, it doesn't necessarily have to be a midlife thing, but oftentimes it can be. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's true. And I'm working with um, some universities and I, I had a conversation with somebody in the art department. It is exactly that is there's so many people who want to be artists. They don't see the path to make money. And what they do is they go into graphic arts, but they really want to be a studio painter or a, you know, a, a, a sculptor or, you know, whatever, you know, you have to make some choices to survive and be practical, but you're absolutely sure. right. You know, those childhood, you know, hopes and dreams get dashed. Um, one of the exercises I do with clients when they're feeling really stuck about what you know they do or don't want to do is I, you know, we do a, a centering, you know, technique uh, to go back to when you're, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight years old and try to put yourself, who, who what did you like to do? What did you do for fun? Um, who were your imaginary friends? What did you want to be when you grow up? Because, you know, whether, you know, you want to be a fireman or a nurse or a doctor, you know, whatever those were, well, what about that? was exciting for you or now what still is exciting what in your current job is aligned with that or misaligned you know hey i want to help people and right now i don't feel like i'm doing that because i'm in a job that's not very people oriented you know i want to be a doctor or a nurse all right so 
what can you do in your current role to get more interaction with people? Because that appears to be service seems to be something that's missing for you right now. So anyway, trying to get back into those things before the world crushes our hopes and dreams. Yeah. I would imagine you run into situations, whether it's male or female, where maybe the spouse is a little, would agree that that person is gifted in a certain way but the change can be very disruptive. There's real risks. You were in a situation where you got a lot of support in making this change. That, that is an element of this. There's your own internal critic, but if you got someone there going, I don't know about this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like at the dinner table every night, like, how's it going? And what's going on? You know, like it, it kind of maybe hoping that the, it's just a fad that you're, that yeah. you'll come back to, you'll come back to reality or something that I could see that being uh, an element of stress in the whole. In the whole no, that you're, 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 you're spot on. And again, I'll take it back. If you don't mind to my personal story sure. is, you know, as I said before, I had a big job and great salary package benefits, the, the whole thing. And um, I had the, the, the luxury of a, having my wife, who is extremely supportive of this, and she saw this, this, you know, how unhappy I was and, you know, the struggle I went and what I was doing through this discernment process and arriving at coaching and going through that whole process. She was very supportive. She also had a good job. So financially, we were in a place, even though our son was in college, where if I lost that big, if I did not have that big job any longer, we would still be okay. One of the first things we did was go and met, went and met with our financial planner to say, okay, if I make this move, what's the impact on us financially as a family? What do we need to be prepared for? All that kind of stuff. So yes, I had this emotional as well as financial support, which was um, extremely valuable. And you know, when, when I'm working with people who you know want to make a, a more dramatic change, it's um, you know making sure okay, my values, my family is important to me, supporting them, financial success is important to me. How will that marry up with this change? And sometimes you do take the risks, but if you lean into it with that confidence and you've done some smart stuff, you, you can make it happen. All that being said, when I left corporate and the, the paychecks stopped and I was, you know, I was making a lot of money and now I'm asking people to pay for, you know, a few hours of my time, um, I'll tell you for about six months after I made the move, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning, you know, wide awake. What the, excuse me, what the F did I do? Sure. And you know, it was scary. You know, there was panic. And even though we financially, we had a cushion and all, and I was confident in my skills. It was scary. And I, you know, if I was laying in bed wondering, you know, what the F did I do? My poor wife lying next to me, she's like, oh my God, what the F did, did Tim do? And, and you know, so it, it's scary, it's risky, and it's also, you know, when you can be smart about it, when you, you know, again, I had a coach and my coach training was very supportive in helping me succeed in doing this by, you know, what are, what are the real, but what are the imagined obstacles that are getting in my way? What's, you know, dampening my confidence that I can do A, B, and C, and how do you manage through that? So it's, it, it's tough. And that's why we'll never go in with a client and say, oh, you're miserable where you are. Let's find you a new job or go off on your own. No, because everyone has a unique situation. So it's, we always discover together what possible next steps will be and how you can be successful once you make those choices. 
Yeah, I like the way you break this down because it, it has to be somewhat methodical. You really do have to go through these steps because you could you could make the situation worse. You could it, it could like just because you're unhappy doesn't mean the change is going to be better. So you do have to take those methodical steps to look at values, to look at your core competencies, to look what you like to do with those my analytics and uh, <laughs> analytical brain working where it does, you know, I do have to break things down to in, in steps and do it methodically as a, you know, analyst, but um, yeah. I, I, but, and, you know, different people skew, you know, on different ends of that, you know, how much is just, you know, a, a wing and a prayer. And I just, I am, you know, confidence. I can just go out and do it. And other people are, let's figure out all the steps to get there. Either one of those can be wildly successful, and I, either one of those can be a failure. <laughs> you know, if you just go on the wing of the prayer and I say, I'm chucking it to go play the piano, or I'm going to keep analyzing this over and over and over and over and over and over, and I never make a move, right. and I'm going to stay miserable. Yeah, so we know that those extremes um, don't work. So and actually, that's where coaching comes in, is to help people say, wow, you know, how do, how do we bring this? How do we look at it differently? What is the impact on your family? What, what could be different? How do you take more risk? What would that look like? Because we often do, you know, skew to one end or the other. Sure. But what I like about your steps is, uh, and it's the name of your book, but it does, it does just the whole value thing. It does build confidence that if you're aligned on your values and you're doing something that you're good at and something you like, you could fail at that. But chances are you you won't because you've got a, a fair amount of steam involved in that. You've got some momentum building that if you're good at it and you've got a passion at it and it aligns with your values, you're, you could fail, but it, it's probably worth trying mm -hmm. because I think in all these bi biographies and the historical looks back at some of this stuff, it, it, no one really talks about the fear that people have in it. Like mm -hmm. uh, there was a woman, I think the woman who wrote The Artist's Way. She was, she was originally um, to uh, Martin Corsese. I think when his movie was being reviewed, she, hey, everyone likes the movie. And he was up in the balcony, like throwing up. He was so nervous. Mm -hmm. and, and she said, there's this, what she blamed, at least in the entertainment industry, is she blamed the late night talk shows where Artists would come on with an anecdotal story and everything's fine. Their life was perfect. That's not how it is. Some of these people mm. were kind of are crippled with concerns every time they do a new project, right? Sure. She was saying it's a big disservice. She said most people, if they're really honest about it, are never 100% comfortable. It's never that easy. And there's a lot of, I lived with Martin Corsese for years and years and years. He was a talented guy, but he was never... Like he just never mailed it in. It was always agonizing for him to kind of, he had the talent, he had the passion, the values, but it was, uh, it, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't an easy trip for him. And it was, yeah, a, no. And that's, that's typically, you know, one of the blocks, the energy blocks we have is uh, our inner critic or our gremlin. And, you know, even someone as successful as Martin Scorsese is afraid each time because what if I fail this time? What if they don't like it? And typically, you know, those are, you know, our gremlin is that voice that's been with us forever. As far as you can remember back, it's that voice that said, you know, don't, don't try that. You might get embarrassed or, oh, you could never do that. You'll just look stupid if you do that. Or don't, don't, don't bring that up. And, you know, one of the things I do with clients, whether they're, you know, CEOs of companies or people just starting out or looking to make a career choice is where's that voice coming from? 
what's it saying to you? And then, you know, we go through a process of identifying it and actually name your gremlin, you know, yeah. because, because what it does is if I feel like, you know, I, I just, I'm safe in this job. I don't want to make a move because all these things that come to mind. You know, what's saying that, you know, I'm not feeling capable or confident to go on and make a move. That's your gremlin speaking. And, but you think I'm just, blah, I feel blah. No, when you name your gremlin, you say, no, that's not all of me. That's part of me. And that's that voice that's saying, play it safe, dude. Don't try that. Right. And, and when you start to see, oh, you know, and so you name it. And so it's, you know, name is George, you know, and you say, George, I can prove you wrong. I've taken risks before. I've succeeded before. I've made decisions. I've raised my hand in meetings. I haven't, you know, you know, you mean well, George, but be quiet. I don't want to listen to you anymore because you've been there. You've been part of my whole life, but right now you're not making sense to me because I have enough proof points to know that I can make this move. And to your point earlier, Mike, is if I realize I go into that sports career and it's not as wonderful as I thought it would be, okay, <laughs> you know, I can make it, I can make another move. Oh, you see, you tried that and you failed. No, shut up, George. I, I, I know I'm okay with this because I know I've got my strengths, I've got my values, and I am choosing now how to move on, even if there's been some adversity. I'm not going to play it safe and listen to you because you're not serving me right now. Oh, that's naming your inner critic. That's uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to do that. Yeah, and you probably see this all the time, but we, if we have a thought, it's hard to discern that thought from not being the truth. You're yeah, absolutely. And naming it steps it outside saying, okay, that's one of many thoughts that might be right, but it's just a thought. It's not necessarily accurate. And you're right. Who, what's, what's, what is that thought serving and where is it coming from? Is, is it serving me best? It's, it's interesting. Uh, I've heard yeah. that with meditation, you know, people get distracted with meditation and naming that distractive voice is, is another one that mm -hmm. I've heard that the same way. It's, it's, it's a voice inside your head. And if you name it, all of a sudden you can kind of compartmentalize it. It's not, it's not you. It's, you know, we're not our thoughts, right? <laughs> we're, not, right. We're, not, we're, we're, we're not our thought. And that, that, that's maybe a woo woo statement, but we tend to think we are our thoughts. And Ooh, totally. No, you're spying. You know, that's why Martin, Martin Scorsese can say, you know, throw up in the balcony when his new movie's being released, even though he has all those proof points of wild success. It's natural for it to happen and your gremlin never goes away. But if you can say, you know, I, you, you had the key line in there, you said, where's that thought coming from? Yeah. Wow. And when you can sort of start to get real with that and say, yeah, that's coming from a place of fear or, you know, you know what, what's crazy is our brain, you know, our limbic brain remembers all of those terrible things that happened to us, you know, when we were in junior high and high school. And, you know, so you're in a similar, and that's what triggers rather than the thousand things that were wildly successful. And we remember, oh yeah, I remember that one meeting where I was embarrassed. So I'm not going to do this again. Or, hey, I took that one job and it didn't work out. I'm never going to do that again. And so we have to counteract that because our brain remembers a lot of the bad stuff. We have to train it to remember the good. Yeah, right. It, that's how we survive. Our ancestors that remembered what the lion sounded like coming up behind them lived. Yep. And, and the ones that didn't, <laughs> didn't survive. So we've got this over-exaggerated sense of all the bad. We tend to focus on maybe the negative. Not everyone. It becomes a very powerful thing. Obviously, if you've had a traumatic event, those are almost sometimes 
impossible to overcome because you absolutely it, no it's legitimate it, it's all happened you know hey it has and you know you can look back to the past and learn from it you you can't go back and regret you can't go back and you know go through the i woulda coulda shoulda oh if i had only made this decision everything would be you know yellow brick road right now yeah no you, you can't do that and it's exhausting if you tried to go back and change everything you know yeah i should have taken that job all right. Something could have happened the day after that wouldn't have, you know, created that perfect life that you thought it would have done. Or I should have, you know, married that person or not done. You know, you, you can't change it. Go back and learn. Right. But moving forward, it's like, OK, you know, how, how do I move forward with that confidence? Um, shut down those voices, not live in these thoughts that it has to happen again and, and be in a place of choice and strength and confidence as you go forward. With the acknowledgement that there are going to be moments like you're three o'clock in the morning where it could get the best of you. And that's part of the process. If you're not freaking out, maybe you're not totally engaged in what's going on, right? So <laughs> true. Yeah, so it, I think that's where I, a life coach adds a lot of value saying, hey, guess what's gonna happen? This is not a linear thing. This is like one step forward, two step back. There's gonna be good days and bad days. And that's, that's part of the hero's journey. There's going to be bad days and it's yeah. all part of the, who, who did, who wrote the artist's way. It's like, she was really saying no one really gets on a TV show and says, Hey, you know what? This, this movie was really hard to make. And I really, ch you know, I didn't think I was mm -hmm. going to do it. Like every, the, the thing that I think makes it uh, harder for that, we're all duck. We all look like we're really smooth on the water mm -hmm. coasting along. and below the surface, our feet are fluttering like in a huge panic. We don't really, reward people for being very transparent about in fact i think in social media if some some famous person that's wealthy kind of says they've got like a depression issue or they almost get accused of being ungrateful and it's like no i'm just trying to be honest about a condition i yeah. have you know and it gets it gets twisted into you know oh you know why are you sad you know you've got everything and so yeah thing where everyone kind of puts on a happy face no and, and you're you're right social media these days with facebook and everything you know, a lot of people uh don't tend to you know put up there that you know my, my kid just you know got suspended from school because you know you know they don't play side it's like hey look at everybody happy at the soccer field so yeah, we yeah, get this this yeah. misunderstanding I, I i run into this a lot with clients too who are in the middle of their career or early and, you know, they say, hey, I'm, I'm 30, I'm 35, and um, all my friends have these great jobs, and they're married, and, you know, everything is just going swimmingly for them, and I feel like I'm a loser. Yeah, but they've got a good job. <laughs> you know, they're doing this stuff. But it's that whole comparison thing to others that gets your gremlin, your inner critic going and saying, yeah, well, they're doing better than you. What's wrong with you, you know, loser? <laughs> and, yeah, you're right. So and, social media really puts, social media becomes the highlights of everyone's life. And if you're sitting mm -hmm. home and, uh, hey, everyone is having fun about, except for me. And it's just like, well, so social media kind of turns up the volume on that a little because um, who, no one puts the bad stuff out. It's it's the greatest hits that are out there. You know, you don't know the issues that some of these people have, right? but you're not, like everyone's not out there conveying the challenges that they're facing. It yeah. is kind of like the person on the, the late night talk show that's just loving life. Everything's great. And it's like, that's, that's not real. But, but the other thing is too, is, Hey, some people are loving life and some people are very successful and they are happy. And yeah, they've got junk going on in their life. Yeah. I want to, I don't want to look at 
make myself feel better by thinking, well, they've got stuff going on that they're not telling. Right. You know, it's like, you know, you, 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 you're walking down the street and you see a, you know, very successful businessman there. He gets out of a really nice car and he's dressed well and he's got, you know, clearly is successful. And our tendency is, well, he probably has a lousy family life or he probably <laughs> you know, doesn't spend time with his kids you're or right. he stomped, he stomped on people to get there. Okay. I don't know if that's true or not, right. but why not say, wow, there's a successful guy. I wonder how he did that. I wonder if there's something I can learn from him. I wonder, you know, Hey, I don't want to stomp on people. I don't want to be away from my kids. I don't even know if he's done that or if he has done it. Okay. But still, What's helped him be successful? Because, hey, part of my value, I want a nice car and have nice clothes. I wonder what I can learn from him. Yeah. Shift of only making our feel ourselves feel better by judging others, either good or bad. You know, judging is exhausting. Is. Because if you're a judge, you're literally judge. And you're always, you always are saying, oh, my gosh, that person's better than me. I, I'm not as good. What do I have to do? Or <laughs> I'm glad I'm not that person. They got it really crummy over here. I'm doing better. If all you're doing is always judging, it's, it's, it's exhausting and devastating to your energy. Whereas yeah. if you can say, okay, this is, what I see. this is what I'm seeing right now. Hey, I see a successful guy. Wow, I see somebody struggling. I'm not going to make that feel better because of that. It's just what is. How can I look at it and say, okay, I wouldn't choose that. I wouldn't do that. But I'm not going to say they're good or bad, right or wrong, fat or ugly, smart or dumb. Because that's a judgment. I'm just going to say, this is what is now. How do I want to move forward? Yeah. Tim, a very inside game. All that stuff is almost like a distraction from the inside game of what am I good at? What should, where, where should I be going? Totally discounting the outside world. But it is, it's very much an inside thing that, yeah. you know, these are the things turning off some of that stuff. There's no out there out there. You know, you want to really change your life. It starts inside your head. If you're waiting for something to happen, maybe that. No, you're absolutely right. And that's where the whole energy part of my coaching comes in because you, it, it's choice. You are choosing how you show up. And so it is an inside game. Yep. How am I interpreting this situation? How do I want to move into this next opportunity or manage this difficult situation? I am in choice. Now, what that does, though, yes, even though it is an inside game, it becomes very much a shared game sure. after that. Because when you are out there and you're able to say, man, you know, you've got a cool job in this cool company. Tell me about it. You know, who, can you help me? You know, what do I need to know? Or you're feeling really crappy and you can say to your wife, I'm scared to death. I'm not going to get any clients. And so you're, you're being honest and you're reaching out and gaining that support from people. So what you're doing is you're attracting energy from people who can help grow and yeah. help you move forward. And you are helping them because energy does attract like energy. So do you want to be afraid, negative, griping, complaining, afraid all the time? Or do you want to be, wow, you know, there's opportunity. How do I want to do this? There are struggles, but that's okay. I can learn. I can get support. I can move forward. How do I trust people around me rather than being afraid of them? If you were to provide one piece of advice for someone who's, you know, listening to this, they're on their way to work, they're maybe not, they're in that boat that maybe you were in that, what is step one? Yeah, I'm a big believer in starting with, with strengths. I, I do this exercise with people um, to list three of your strengths, okay? You know, and it can be in any aspect of your, you know, I'm, I'm organized, I'm great with clients, I'm a good dad, okay? And then... 
take that one step further and say, what's, what's the value of that? So first your strengths and then what's the value of that? Well, okay, I'm organized, you know, so I get, I plan things well. No, no, no. So what? What's the value of that? Oh, um, I'm organized. Um, so I get stuff done on time with my clients. Okay, so what? Well, we get stuff done on time and then they are happy and they buy more stuff from us. Okay, great. So that's the value I bring. You say you're, you know, you're a good dad. So what does that mean? Um, well, I, uh, I, I play ball with my kids. Okay. So, so what? Well, um, we, we, we laugh a lot. Okay. So what's the value of laughing a lot with your kids? It, it makes them happy. Okay. What else? Well, we have a good time together and we learn from each other and, you know, we like being together. Okay. What's the value of that? It makes the home peaceful and enjoyable. Great. So what? Well, we all get along well and it's fun. Okay. So when you dig deep, so you are this organized, good dad, and you know, you're great with clients. And as a result, I'm able to create a lifestyle where I want, where I'm at peace and I have fun at home with my kids. I'm organized, get stuff done at home, at work, and I get the client work done on time and the clients love me. As a result, I've been able to integrate my life of family and work, and I'm able to create this life that I want. So it, it's not, it's easier than one, but it's, you know, really look at the value you deliver. And I do that by looking at people's strengths. What am I good at? And so what, what does that do for me? And we're all, you know, we focus on that tiny bit, our weaknesses. You know, that's why I hate reviews at companies because you always focus on, you know, you've got to get better here, here, and here rather than saying, you know, 90% of what you're doing is awesome. Why don't we sell that? And then once you're celebrating that, then it's like, you know what? I do want to bulk up my skills over here. So look at your strengths, go into your values, but ask yourself when you say value, just keep digging deeper. So what, so what, what's what, so what that I have, I deliver that value. What's the end game? What's that result in? Well, that's very helpful. Tim, this has been great. You've got a book out on Amazon, the impact of confidence, seven secrets of success for human side of leadership. Where else, if someone's heard this conversation and maybe feels they could use some coaching around or, or where can they find find you out there on the internet? Sure. Yeah. The easiest place is um, my website and it's uh, RessmeyerPartners.com. That's R-E-S-S-M-E-Y-E-R partners.com. And on there is uh, stuff about my practice. And um, I'll, I'll mention that I mentioned my wife earlier. She has uh, in the past year left her corporate gig and has been certified as a coach and she has joined my company as, wow. as a executive and leadership coach as well. Yeah. So, uh, it's interesting. It's a totally different topic, but life and career coaching is, is probably a, a 20 or 30 years ago, people would have laughed at that role, but that's tremendously right. Like Alex, Rodriguez, yeah, Alex Rodriguez had three uh, coaches. He had one for like his business world, one for his personal world. And then he had like a mental coach for, for really focusing on uh, the game when he was playing yep. and can kind of maybe roll their eyes at that type of thing. But at the same time, it's like, well, all you, all you're doing is getting someone to provide some, some objective guidance as to yeah. here's, here's some steps to go through because <laughs> it is messy. I mean, if everyone, if, you know, I don't know how many people don't like their job out there or would like to make a change in their life. Chances are there's a lot of people that would like to make a change and it's not, it's not that you, you've, you've broken it down into some steps here that people can follow, but it's, 
like we said, it's, it's not easy. And it's, it's, yeah. and having a coach to kind of steer you through it. I mean, if you take a look at the hero's journey, one of the big things from, from, you know, the, the idea of the hero's journey, it's just been this story that's been with us throughout time. You know, it's on cave drawings and it's up into uh, star Wars, but the idea of having a mentor guide you is almost in every one of those stories, right? The, Ob- the Obi-Wan Kenobi, there's a mentor that, you know, they're not called life coach back in the, in, uh, in Odysseus, you know, but it's, it's, there is somebody there that kind of provides cadence guidance to kind of say, who has yeah. normally oftentimes been through a similar challenge, things that these people, but I think the whole idea of being able to facilitate or coach someone through a change is is a critical role out there that a lot of people well use. no that's that's true and i mean life is the hardest thing we do why do we do it alone um you know <laughs> right. and and you're right every you know all the athletes you know tiger woods i think had like you know four or five coaches you know his swing coach and his putting coach and his mental coach his life well maybe he could have done better with a life coach i don't know but um anyway but there are you know it, it is hard to do it and so you know why why do we do it alone uh, you mentioned mentors and you know what what i like to do is put coaching in the continuum of you know the modalities and service areas you have therapists who are vitally important um for you know you know clinical depression for uh, abuse for addiction things that are you know those deep seated family things you need you know a therapist for that um mentors you mentioned you know, I see mentors as those people who have achieved something, some success in their life, and they are a role model. And they are describing to a mentee is, this is the path I took. This is how you can get here. This is the school I went to. These are the decisions I made. This is how I navigate politics within a company. So it's very helpful. Um, you have consultants on the other end that are very much, hey, go, this is what you need to do. I've looked at your, you know, structure of your organization. I've looked at the way you run your your team, do this, do this, do this. A coach fits in the middle of all of that. We don't give advice. We don't tell people what to do. Um, we don't go into the deep, you know, the, the more of the psychological stuff. We touch on it. Hey, you had a rough time, you know, communicating with your family. Um, deal with that. How is that though playing out? You have to go lead a, a, a town hall tomorrow. How are you going to be able to show up with that when you're afraid of, being laughed at when you talk, you know, whatever. So we'll, 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 you know, reminisce, we'll tap into that. But coaching is all about moving forward. It's a, somebody who's not connected to the outcome, like a family member, a spouse, a colleague is, you know, Hey, you've got that job offer in, you know, Colorado. Awesome. Um, But do you really want to take it? You know, the best friend speaking, you know, I don't want to lose you as a best friend, but you know, as a coach, Hey, so you take that job in Colorado, how's that going to affect your relationships? What will that look like? So the coach is, it's always about, we always have goals moving forward, objective third party, not connected to the outcome. And it fits into that whole continuum from therapist to consultant with, with mentors in the middle as well. Well, this is great. Tim, I'm very happy for you. I know you've made a significant career change and it's going really well for you. So you are the, uh, you're the embodiment of the hero's journey, right? You got, you, got, you had a call to action where you're just like, I hate my job and you, and you changed and it wasn't easy. And like, it is the hero's journey, right? It's uh, you had those, you had, you woke up in the middle of the night. Like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. And, and you know, 
uh, and you're no, right. It's you're not you're not done with it. It's it's uh, never a layoff. But I appreciate you sharing some of this. I think for people that don't know what coaches do, this has been an interesting view into that world to say, okay, this might be helpful for me, or even maybe uh, this might be something people might be interested in pursuing as a career. Absolutely. No, I, um, yep. So yeah, anyone who wants to talk about it, please, my website, RussMeyerPartners.com, you know, shoot me an email through that. And um, yeah, no, I I love what I do. And you're right, Mike, it it is a journey. It's it's never ending. And you're always, uh, you know, you make decisions every day where what your next move is and, you know, where, what you want to be doing. And uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's good stuff. And why I do what I do is because I really believe people can be happier, more successful, and more fulfilled. And I just really like to help people discover that and achieve that. Oh, well, thanks for being part of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for all the work well, you're doing for, out there. And thanks for all the, you know, the work you're doing with people. It's, it's great. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks, Mike. And uh, it's been a pleasure to be part of your show. Thanks, Tim. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.